Hello listeners, this is Matt from Uncanny Treks, and I want to take a moment to tell you about our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash uncannytreks. On our Patreon, we offer lots of exclusive content in multiple tiers, including access to our brand new Patreon-exclusive podcast, X-Men 92 vs. Young Justice. On this podcast, we follow the same format as B5 vs. DS9, but with an entirely new focus on reliving the nostalgia of 90s X-Men animated series and comparing it to the fast-paced action of Young Justice. Both of these animated series have recently been renewed for new seasons, so we felt it was a great time to return to these two comic book-based properties. If you're interested in subscribing, please visit us at patreon.com slash uncannytreks, and you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uncannytreks. Enjoy the show, and as always... Thank you for listening. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Galaxy's Greatest Podcast about the two great 90s space station shows, Babylon 5 versus DS9. We are a part of Uncanny Tracks. I am Bob from Cascadia, that's Matt from the Southland. How you doing tonight, Matt? Doing great, Bob. These uh, episodes, woo, jeez. You got that uh, season finale fever, Matt? Yeah, good stuff. It was like, after that DS9 episode, I was like, oh man. Babylon 5's in trouble, but then Babylon 5 pulled it off, too. It's good shows all around. You watch it at DS9, then Babylon 5? Well, yeah, I mean, I'd watched DS9 before. I mean, I knew, I knew about the yeah this yeah. particular episode. But, uh, yeah, big, big surprises in Babylon 5, though. Huge surprises. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking the Season 2 finale of Babylon 5, uh, Fall of Night. And then we're talking the Season 3 finale of DS9, Adversary. Although, yeah, I feel like we're at a pretty similar moment in both shows. Maybe DS9 is still running a bit ahead of Babylon 5, but, you know, given that you have, like, kind of a seven-season story for one and then kind of a three-and-a-half to four-season story for the other. And what still blows my mind, though, is these came out the same year. I mean, they're so similar <laughs> to me, at least. Like, you could tell there's a this is a bridging point going into something huge. You know, these both occurred within, what was that, five months of each other yeah yeah Mo like most of the season two of babylon 5 i think was fall of 94 and spring of 95 but i think the last bit of season two was more like winter of 95 and i think babylon 5 season three will pick up immediately and so you'll have babylon 5 season three in the winter of 95 when you have ds9 season four in the fall of 95 if that makes sense so they had like mid-season finales during these shows. Apparently, they just didn't call it that. They call that that. They call it that now, but this is legit what it was. Yeah, I don't know how much those were like written to or prepared for by the crews of the both shows, because I think I think DS Nine. My impression is they had a more regular schedule, mm -hmm. but I think Babylon Five it was kind of irregular, and so you would you tended to have like a block of episodes get shown and then a, a block of a few more then a block of a, of a few more. It seems like there were tended to be several breaks in Babylon five. And yeah, in both cases, I don't know that the crews of the shows were really working towards like a mid season finale or finales, but they, yeah, they definitely were working uh, towards season finales as we see in these two right. episodes. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I doubt they were moving towards mid season finales. I'm just saying that's how shows operate now though. And it's, it's, to me, it's annoying. It's like, eh. I don't want a mid-season finale. I want, I want to just have the whole damn season. I mean, I think I kind of disagree. If you're talking about a network show that's 20-plus episodes, I think it's probably good for the writers to think of it as, how, you know, be, as like two seasons instead of one huge season. I think you probably get better storytelling breaks that way. Yeah, like in sections. That would make sense, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it's just, I don't, I don't know, like 20, 20 plus episodes, it's just a kind of crazy amount of television to do ongoing stories with. Like, I'm glad shows like Babylon 5 and DS9 pulled it off, but it's not necessarily something I would, like, recommend as the ideal storytelling format. All right, Bob, let's, let's, let's dig into this. Fall of Night. All right, so Fall of Night's the Babylon 5 Season 2 finale. You want to walk us through the A-plot, Matt? Yeah, so in the A-plot, the last surviving Narn heavy cruiser requests sanctuary from Sheridan, which he grants, much to the consternation of the Centauri and the Ministry of Peace, Flak, who arrived on the station to negotiate an alliance between Earth and the Centauri. Yep, yep. And then in the B-plot, the Ministry of Peace Flak and a Nightwatch Flak also attempt to recruit uh, Ivanova with offers of career advancement, encourage security officer Allen to spy on shop owners and dock workers on the station. They scold Sheridan for conducting anti-Centauri fighter exercises, and they rebuff Jakar. And, and we find out what Kosh looks like under his suit. Spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> After Sheridan jumps from a train. Do <laughs> you want to go ahead and take your victory lap on the train, Matt? Yeah, I'm just saying. I called this like pilot episode of a TV movie, I believe. Uh, I told you something was going to happen. I knew it. Which was arguably the last time we even saw the train. I think it was. I mean, we'll see them get on the tram like in season one sometimes. And I yeah. want to say there was one shot like mid-season, maybe once again of the tram, but then... Just to remind you that it's there. Yeah. I'm telling you, I, I, was, I, I wasn't I was 100% right because I didn't know he was going to fall from it, but geez, I didn't know he was going to get on the outside of that thing. Chekhov's uh, space station tram, as it were. <laughs> yeah, and the, let me just say the CGI for the tram thing and him falling was hilarious. I'll just go and get that out there. A nice try for... TV budget, I guess. They do, they do what they can. They do what yeah, they can. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Matt over here, like a kid on Christmas Day, can't wait to get to the presents, has to dive right in, dive right into his victory lap. Uh, but I guess to start at the beginning, man, uh, Kiefer really seems to be very bored while Sheridan is lecturing the pilots. Yeah, probably because the actor knows this is his last appearance and he's about to be out of a job. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I remember like when this episode... When I the first time I watched this episode was a couple of weeks ago. I immediately had to text you and be like, "Okay, is Keffer gone for good? Like, is he? Because I can't stand the character, and I'm just glad he's gone." Did I uh, actually answer you that time, or did I tease you? Oh, you told me. You told me for sure he's dead. Okay. Yeah. I now I'm kind of wishing I'd been like, I don't know, Matt. Is yeah, who yeah. can say what death really is? <laughs> yeah, you could have held that over my head because I figured he was going to end up being like uh, Morden or get like taken in by the shadows or something like that, and. We're going to have, you know, multiple 90s douchebags. No, no. This podcast's long national nightmare has been ended by uh, Keffer getting got, um, which did kind of bring me to a realization. I hadn't thought about this the first time through because I don't think I hated Keffer this much, but you, you've you kind of inspired some hate for him. And also this time through, I've noticed how bad his acting is. But if you think about it, he's kind of the Jar Jar Binks of Babylon 5. Do you follow my logic? Yeah, because he releases the uh, I. I mean, he's the one who captures the ISN footage of the shadows, which I guess leads to Earth knowing about the shadows, which in turn is bad because they made it pretty clear that the more you know about the shadows, the more likely they're going to be. Uh, they're going to ramp up their attacks. Yeah, I think they were always going to ramp up their attacks, but it does seem like Keffer's realization um, hastens that. Yeah, it speeds right. it up and accelerates it. Right. Yeah, so I made a meme uh, with this great insight that uh, your your bitterness about Keffer got me uh, th with this season, and I posted it a couple places, and I got a lot of pushback. Uh, Keffer's got some fans. People were angry. Uh, people were saying that he was a hero. Um, I what pointed out that he, I pointed out that he uh, disobeyed orders and made things much much worse. Uh, people were not receptive to that perspective. <laughs> I mean, Keffer's a terrible character. He lasted one season. No, he he's 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 no. No one needs to be defending Keffer ever. Yeah, it is weird the things like fans will get defensive about. Like I totally get being defensive about Babylon Five. Like if you're if you've been a longtime fan of a you know a show that went through a lot of stuff and you know hasn't had very good uh, releases. Like allegedly the DVDs aren't that good. I don't know. I mean 
God knows the lack of synchronization on the voice tracks in season two on, on HBO Max has been driving me up the wall. Um, it's so bad. Um, and so you look at a show like this that's been disrespected I, and ignored. I get that. Like, it's a good show. It deserves a better reputation than it has. But, like, my God, are you going to get defensive about Keffer of all things? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let, me, let me say this, though, Bob. I think there's a change.org petition to uh, fix the audio problems in Babylon 5 on HBO Max. <laughs> oh, man. We, we, need to, we, need to become, uh, we need to become activists behind that. I'm just, it cracks me up. Somebody went through the trouble of creating that just for this purpose. Like, it's that big of a deal. I mean, I, I agree. It's it's annoying. Yes, it's annoying. But come on, like, how how much do you pay? How much do you pay a month for HBO Max, Matt? Uh, maybe fifteen, I think. I, I think that's a big deal. Uh, well, I think I get mine. Actually, maybe like in with my Hulu. I don't. You know. get bundled or whatever. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's pretty much what they're doing now. They're just taking like the, the old school way. They used to take channels like with Directv and Comcast. Instead of purchasing the channels there, you're just purchasing them streaming service. <laughs> Yeah, the the whole the thing that the charm of the streaming service was to escape us from. Yeah, it, it's it's heading back in that direction. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's wild how the the potential of streaming is just getting co opted and turned uh, turned to crap so quickly. Um, I don't know, man. I I think it is pretty outrageous that like HBO Max can't fix this, and it's also pretty sad, like given how long b5 wasn't available on streaming mm -hmm. like it only got available on streaming on amazon prime maybe two three years ago probably two years ago it's a show that could have been huge on streaming if it had been on netflix for 10 years you know like it could maybe be doing near star trek numbers in terms of netflix streaming but just because the rights were complicated and blah 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 that never happened yeah i agree and on a, on a more sad note, I just learned that the Babylon 5 reboot we had talked about in a previous episode, Bob, is put back on the shelf. Oh, I, I thought there was still some chance for it for no. the following year. No, no hope, Bob. They've already shelved that shit. Oh, man. Okay. I think, like, JMS made a deal with the Shadows, and they're, like, fucking him over now. I, there's some talk of the show being cursed. I mean... This is maybe a little kind of a shallow point, but a, an awful lot of the actors on the show died relatively young. Although I think in a lot of cases there were, you know, other issues contributing to that. And that's, that's maybe, that's maybe a little kind of shallow or a little sort of superstitious thing, but it, it is something I've heard said about the show that some people consider it cursed. So should we be afraid about continuing this podcast, Bob? Is that why you have me doing this? Because you want me to yes, be part of this the is my uh, <laughs> this is my long distance plan to uh, to kill you. So by the time we get to the last season, there's a good chance I've got a hit out for me. I just, I mean, just so you know, Matt, when we're in the last season of Babylon Five, you may greet death as a mercy. Oh shit, that's not promising. Okay, there's good stuff in it, but there's also there's also things that will make you long for death. So is, it there, becomes... is there great stuff like Lanier and Cotto, uh Constantly complaining to each other, having a little meet and greet. Look at the professional day. transition skills on Matt. Um, <laughs> I, there's a lot. There's a lot of Lanier and Cotto content in season five. Not necessarily to the good. Yeah, they're like those work colleagues that you know will just they'll bitch with you at work, you know, about everything going on, but you probably like never get with them outside of your job. You ever have those kind of friends, like I work friends. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. Like they'll quit or be fired one day, and y'all will like never speak again. But occasionally, you'll like something on their Facebook. It's just one of those kind of guys. <laughs> I feel like that's the relationship Lanier so, and Cotto have. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the I guess the other point the scene is trying to establish is just that the stress that Lanier and Cotto are under with the complications of the war and what have you. Yeah, but if there wasn't a war, they wouldn't be talking to each other. Like, yeah, did they ever talk yeah. to each other before this? I don't think they did. <laughs> they were in a scene together. You, ima you imagine they might have reason to, though, given that they have similar jobs. Right. Well, and the thing creating such stress for them is that the Centauri are expanding into Drazi and Pakmara territory. And why wouldn't they, Bob? They're trying to reclaim their once great empire. No, Matt. They're trying to create regional security and a reasonable, bu reasonable buffer zone. I can't believe that you've fallen for the anti-Centauri propaganda yet again.
I'm telling you, it's an empire bomb. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously, no, 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 all of the great powers on the show are empires. Yeah, um, so, I, well, maybe not the Vorlon, but the others definitely are. Um, so, I did want to ask you. So, we know Winters was the traitor. You know, we know our long podcast uh, hunt for the traitor came up Winters, despite the fact that Matt kept weighing the scales against Commander Ivanova. But Matt, did you get a tinge of nostalgia? Did you feel a little bit of suspicion as Ivanova was being courted by that Ministry of Peace guy? Yeah, uh, he offered her command on the ship. I mean, that's a big deal. So I don't feel like it's too late for her to. I think she can still be a traitor, Bob. I think we, well, we're, and don't we're not don't oversell his offer. He he offered to shave another. He offered to shave a year or two off of her getting command of the ship. Oh. A little different. A little different. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, how how long? I wonder how long it takes to go from commander to captain. Uh, the impression I get, I get from that scene, I can't quote it or anything, but the impression I get was they were saying, you know, saying like somewhere in the range of like three to five years. So not too long. I guess with Cisco, yeah. that's about how long it takes in, on DS9. Of course, he was a commander Although, I'm before not sure, going to DS9. I'm not sure how long Cisco had been, a, yeah, been a commander before right. he took command of the station. All right. So it's been a while since we've seen a battle on Babylon 5, right? Like... And is this the first time we've, like, really seen the station open up? Because I, I feel like we have seen the station, like, armed before, but I don't know if we've ever seen it go, like, full full battle mode like this. I don't think we've seen it full battle mode, but we've seen it arm up some things, and, like, uh, it's never destroyed. This is the first time it's destroyed a ship. But uh, it did throw up its defenses in that episode with the, with the Death Star planet in the first season. Yeah, yeah, the t- the two-parter from season 1. Yeah, that was yeah. when they they really showed off some of the things that Babylon 5 could do. Uh, but I haven't you haven't seen much since then, really. At least not in season 2, yeah. not, not that I remember. Yeah, nothing's coming to me. I think they've maybe like gone to alert a couple times when something surprising pops out of the jump gate, but yeah, I think this 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 felt like a kind of escalation which Felt, you know, appropriate given the kind of wartime, crisis time mentality of the episode. So, I mean, the Centauri ship is destroyed, but, uh, you know, B-5 is going to have to kind of cope with the fact that a treaty has been signed with the Centauri. And this treaty focuses primarily on, I guess, keeping things open. Is that pretty much what it is? Like, we're, we're not well, taking the sides? Or what's the idea? Is, it's, a, it's a guarantee that... The Earth Alliance won't get involved in the Centauri's wars, and it like I think they even use the term alliance in the episode. Although maybe alliance is too strong a term, but it it seems to be a little bit more than a like a non-aggression pact, and maybe a little bit less than a full-blown military alliance, if that makes sense. Yeah, so B five's pretty much gonna have to cope with the fact that they've been helping the Narn, you know, by like harboring their ship in this episode supplying medical care for the wounded, you know, and kind of, to me, they're, they're more on Jakar's side at this point, at least where I am. I don't, I feel like they're leaning yeah, more in his yeah. direction. So. Yeah. I think it's an interesting setup. Cause you've got like the, you've got Sheridan's little cabal that's trying to prepare for the shadows, but they also seem to, you know, be dominated by sympathy for the Narn, although they seem very constrained in how much they're willing to support the Narn. And so, I think that's uh, I think that's an interesting dynamic of will they try to continue to support the Narn against the policies and wishes of uh, the Earth Alliance military? Well, eventually they're going to learn that the Centauri are backed by the shadows. I'm sure. I mean, that's got to happen, right? You would seem like it. It would seem like it. Okay, I'm just saying. It. Then they're going to realize they have a common enemy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I will say, uh, speaking of covert action, um, I really did enjoy Jakar hiding in the garden, uh, garden bushes in the Zen garden. Yeah, did he think like no one could see him hiding behind those bushes? <laughs> he's he's been such a freak since like his home world was taken. Hey over. man, he's he's a skilled guerrilla resistance <laughs> fighter. Nobody sees him. You can't see him in the bushes, dude. Yeah, that, that was, <laughs> and it's like just a shrub in the middle of nowhere. They really they really led to like increase their budget on the garden itself. I don't mean I, I'm not I'm not. I'm not a landscape person, but but it, it just doesn't look right. I, I don't know very much about Zen gardens, but like, can you even have like very full bushes in a Zen garden? 
I don't think so. That's why Jakar looks so stupid behind the bush. (laughs) (laughs) So he's doing... It's not even Jakar's fault, man. He's doing the best he can in a hard situation to be camouflaged in. (laughs) It is is kind of random, like, Jakar's roles is, like, on the one hand, he's kind of, since Narn fell, he's kind of like a street preacher, but he's also, you know, a guerrilla leader, but he's also a kind of, like, simpering, you know, ex-diplomat. It's kind of funny, all the different roles he has to play. Trying to be an arms dealer. Yeah. Or an arms, not, not a dealer. But so a, uh, getting whatever, back a to purchaser, <laughs> an arms acquirer, broker. When a broker, broker would sell. Yeah. Give me a word here. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. What do you call these people? Hit us up on Twitter, guys. If you can tell us what it means when you customer? buy illegal weapons. Yeah, customer. A customer of an arms dealer. Purchaser. Purchase. Yeah, that works. <laughs> All right. So, you know, the, the way this goes is. They blow up the ship, and they want Sheridan to apologize. So we get this really hilarious scene, in my opinion, of Sheridan practicing his apology in the mirror. What did you think of that part? Because, and have you ever had to, like, apologize the way he has, where you really just, it's not sincere, but you have to make it sound sincere? I've had to placate angry customers before, but I the nice thing about higher ed teaching i mean the 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 yeah there's a lot of unnice things about it like i uh, i don't have any job stability and i don't get paid very well and i don't have health insurance uh but the nice thing about it is that i have a fair degree of autonomy so i mean there are some situations where i could be forced to apologize but that's pretty rare and i would probably have to fuck up in a way that i'm not going to in order to get into that situation i don't know like i've had other, other than placating angry customers, I can't really think of, like, a time I've been forced by, like, an employer to make a, an apology. Yeah, one of my former bosses just flat out told me, like, that's what you spend, you'll spend most of your time doing uh, in administration. So she had me, like, practicing my apology for any, just in case, like, a generic one. <laughs> it's like, all you got to do is say, I'm so sorry. Just be ready on the spot. <laughs> yeah, be ready to go. <laughs> And you'll, everything will be fine. Just say, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry that happened to you. What can I do to make it better? <laughs> and it just reminded me of that when I was watching him. I was like, poor dude. Been in, that, been in his shoes before. That sounds so ingratiating that I don't know how convincing it would be. Yeah. Yeah. But at least, you know, with Sheridan, you know, he, he goes, he gets on the tram. There's a bomb on the tram. He's in his formal wear, which I'll talk about in a little while. But then he... To, to escape, he overrides the doors. He jumps out, and you see him free falling. And they mention rescue jetpacks, Bob. Yes. Are you disappointed that you didn't get to see those? Yeah, we didn't get to see these jetpacks. I mean, we got to see something. I guess equally cool. We got to see an angel, but Jesus, Bob, jetpacks. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, uh, I was just reading X Men comic from two thousand nine where Cyclops during a crossover shows up at a climactic moment in a jetpack, and it's pretty it's pretty cool. And then a couple a couple of issues later, Professor X, who's now no longer the leader, he's been kind of disgraced by a couple messed up things he's done, but he's still like one of Cyclops' advisors. He's sort of giving Cyclops uh, crap about it, and he's like, well, why don't you just solve it by flying up in a jetpack? And he's like, look, man, you gotta save that for the really pressing problems. <laughs> Some, do we ever see these rescue jetpacks, Bob? Ever? You've seen the whole show. Uh, unless I'm totally forgetting it, no. Ah. And then... I, <laughs> I want to see TV-level so, jetpacks, what they come up with. <laughs> like with look, look back. The only, the only way you get to see rescue jetpacks is if, if, is, is if they're being used to rescue Kiefer. That's the only circumstance. <laughs> uh, poor Kiefer, but not really. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, what'd you think of uh, Kasha's true form, Matt? I was kind of disappointed that, like, when the human version didn't have Jesus hair or a beard. <laughs> well, that's because angels are angels are you know usually agender or genderless. Yeah, Bob, but I, I, that doesn't matter. I wanted him to have Jesus beard and hair. I don't see the problem with that. It's my, <laughs> su- my southern my southern Christian. <laughs> You, you want you want to see a picture of Jesus from those little cards you you see in like in church? Yeah, the ones you constantly get in the mail. Yes, those. I want that. Yeah, yeah. I, want, yeah. I want that to what Kosh to look like. 
I was so the way they set it up, like he, you know, he appears as an angelic member of whatever species is looking at him that Kosh does. But when we first see him, it's Kosh's and Bari. And before you see the second shot of like Kosh's Adrazi, did you think that there was some like greater connection between uh, the Vorlon and the Minbari in that moment? I had trouble at first understanding, like, this is just, I got it after a couple of times, but like seeing the difference to me, it looked like when he was between the Minbari and the Drazi, like, I feel like it was just rendered differently. And I was looking at the same character. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you, it didn't you, really... just, you just chalked it up to 90s sci-fi uh, budget, budget it, it, at first yeah but then like when they switched over again I think it's something else the, the more human form I was like okay I get it now I get what they're doing okay and then they of course they explain it with exposition later on but yeah it, 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 is, is there a connection between the Drazi and the Mimbari Bob they, they have a similarity no 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 I'm saying did you oh. think there was a connection between the Vorlon and the Minbari oh Vorlon and the Minbari I, oh, you mean, oh, like, oh did I think that the Vorlon were actually Minbari uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 you're right I, I kind of did think that I thought okay they were Min yeah because that's the first yeah that's the first one you see so you think okay that's what he actually is Minbari but then with I think the angel wings kind of threw it off like a little bit yeah so they did yeah. a good job with the design there as far as making it kind of clear that maybe they were like angel Minbaris or something but then of yeah. course the face yeah. changes one other thing did Delin did it seem like Delin should have been more surprised at Kasha's true form I thought she's already seen him without the thing. oh she did okay maybe when did was that like the end of season one yeah, I, but I may be wrong. I may just be the word she wanted to know, or whatever, whatever thing she yeah to know the shadows are coming or whatever. I feel like she already yeah. knew what he was. I, I really did. My, I mean, I could be totally wrong, and she could have already seen the true form, but I don't remember that. But it does seem like maybe she's just maybe she didn't know for sure, but she's not surprised, right? Like maybe maybe she kind of figured that's what they were, and then. So that, that that's the maybe the vibes I get. Like she she hadn't necessarily seen Kasha's true form, but you know she she or the Minbari in general are familiar enough with the Vorlon that they kind of suspect they're you know whatever the Minbari equivalent of angels are. So yeah, so Kasha's an angel. The shadows are the devil. It's good versus evil, light versus dark, good versus bad. Is that what we're going for? I don't know. Is it not? Or is there like a gray area? Maybe, maybe. Do you think it's on that on that score? Do you think it's maybe a little cheesy or a little ridiculous that uh, Malari doesn't get to see the true form of Kosh? I mean, they have like religion and stuff, so uh, I mean, I it mean, would make it, it more just sense. like the implication of that seems to be that like are the Centauri like genetically evil or something that they can't see this angel? I don't know. That that seems a little cheesy and a little ridiculous. Yeah, to it kind of is because I mean, because like, like I was saying, they have they have their own religion and their own practices i mean but i don't, have they ever mentioned anything about like their they mentioned their gods so yeah i mean so there should be something that makes more it would make sense for there to be something although maybe the argument you could come up with is it's not centauri in general it's just that malari's been tainted by his contact with morden in the shadows and maybe that's maybe it's just specifically him it's not centauri in general to to undercut this uh moral <laughs> binary you were setting up between the uh, the Vorlons and uh, the Shadows. It is interesting that Sheridan's first response upon seeing the angelic Kosh is that he's still suspicious about how the Vorlons might have manipulated and conditioned the younger races to respond to the Vorlons in this way. And, you know, I guess that is appropriate given that just last episode the Vorlons were using Jack the Ripper as their agent. Yeah, it's weird that the Vorlons have Jack the Ripper. He seems more like someone the Shadows would try to acquire. I mean, doesn't that seem more... Like, wouldn't Jack the Ripper yeah. be a cool, like, representative for the Shadows and not the Vorlon, who are the angels? Well, I mean, we talked about that a little last week, about how there's something kind of interesting about the redemption arc for Jack the Ripper. But on the other hand, it's like, how much were the Vorlon actually redeeming Jack the Ripper versus how much were they just putting him in their services? Yeah, I mean, he's still torturing people. It's not like <laughs> he's still yeah, doing the evil yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, I don't I don't get that. 
Sheridan has a right to be suspicious. I have a feeling that's going to be something later on down the road. Because I don't think that, I don't think now that we know the Vorlons are angels that it's all just going to be good now. Like I think there's still going to be a lot of unanswered questions that still need to be answered. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I think you're right okay. about that. Okay. I uh, do enjoy, uh, apropos of not very much, uh, that kind of final um, montage at the end of the episode. I really enjoy seeing Malari yelling at the council meeting with no sound on top of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Uh, you know, he's maybe making up for the fact that he didn't see a Centauri angel by uh, you know do, doing a kind of little Hitler impersonation. <laughs> And then I also do appreciate that Ivanova's voiceover over that montage does call Babylon 5's quest for peace a failure, uh, which I think is a kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting. Not not that many shows would, like, negate their central premise so directly. So I appreciated that. But she uses a phrase which I believe will be reused in the season three opening credits. Um, that now Babylon 5 is our last best hope for victory, which I I always kind of dislike that phrase. It always struck me as a little fashy, so I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. Yeah, that's like fascism at its finest, Bob. That's like Cobra Commander level at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty last aggressive. Best hope for victory. Victory's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So we got ahead of our skis because we were so so happy that Kiefer is dead. Um, unlike unlike some of Kiefer's fanatics out there in the internet. So is there anything else we need to say about Shadow Watch uh, this week, Matt, or should we jump over to uh, DS9? I mean, Shadow Watch, you know, Kiefer's dead. Earth has the footage of the Shadow's existence, so it's going to be some gonna be some bad stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. The Jar Jar Binks of the Babylon 5 universe has accelerated the Shadow's time frames. I mean... He didn't vote to give, uh, you know, dictatorial powers to President Clark, but uh, he might as well have. All right, so let's look at DS9, Bob. All right, do you want to walk us through the A-plot of uh, the DS9 Season 3 finale, The Adversary, Matt? So, Ambassador Krajinsky recruits the newly promoted Cisco and the Defiant to try and intimidate the new Zenkethi regime after a coup. But the mission is derailed by a changeling being loose on board the Defiant, Try to start a new Federation Zinkethi war. Very good, madam. Very impressed with your pronunciation of Zinkethi. Thank you, Bob. Then, the silent T. Yeah, it gets you. Um, I think it's there. It's just faint. You, you got it though. Like, don't 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 okay. don't uh, don't look at the, don't look at the tapes too much. You got don't, it. Don't 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 beat me up about it, Bob. Oh, not not about this. Not something right. else, surely. But not this. What's in the book? Uh, so in. In the B-plot, um, Odo and Eddington clash over Eddington's mistrust of changelings, Odo's lack of enthusiasm for rank, and Odo's less aggressive style of policing. So, Matt, if you think back to the kind of tricky way this finale opens when you first saw this way back in 1995, do you remember if the tease about this being Cisco's final commander log tricked you? It didn't trick me, no. Not even when I think I originally watched it. I mean, it's it's such a quick little tease, too. But I will say this. Cisco is a man who likes to hustle, Bob. Yeah, man. Cisco's got that grind set. He's using the occasion of his final commander's log to talk about how he's hoping for greater challenges in the new year, which, like, knowing where season four goes, it's like, man, Cisco, maybe you shouldn't have wished from that, for that. The universe certainly gave it to you. Yeah, did you find it interesting that... In both the B5 episode and this episode, we see both captains in, like, formal wear. I mean, where where better to break out the formal uniform, the dress uniform, than the season finale, Matt? If not, then when? Yeah, I don't really, I don't particularly like the uh, Star Trek formal wear, but, like, the skirt kind of thing. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with skirts. I'm good with, I mean, it's okay. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I just don't like the way it looks, like, like as a uniform. <laughs> I, uh, I once discovered that uh, for years I had been wearing a pair of women's pants that <laughs> I had somehow acquired. And the pants were actually fine. The only thing I hated about it was that the lack of pocket space was ridiculous. Like, there were pockets, but they were just bullshit pockets. Now you know what women have to go through, Bob. Women like yeah, pockets. But, but yeah. they don't want to put them on their, they don't have them on their clothes. Where am I going to put my knife in my wallet if not in my yeah. pants? And men have plenty of pockets. It's, it's odd, you would think. 
But I'm just saying, I have no issue with skirts. I don't. I, I'm just saying I, the outfits to me were never really that cool looking. I thought the, the the formal wear just didn't look great. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't have strong opinions on uniforms necessarily. I I think I think I, uh, you know what I, you know what I think this is, Bob. I think deep down the problem is that uh-huh. when I, we started collecting the action figures, we were on like wave three or four by the time we started collecting, and the only available main characters were wearing those formal wear outfits. I don't remember that so much. I, I I do remember that we struggled to get main characters, but I don't, I don't remember any formal dressed main um, characters. I know I know there was a Picard in formal wear that I was like, I really don't want this figure, but you know, I can't get the regular Picard because that's back yeah. when they scalp. That's when they were charging like twenty bucks an action figure. And you can get those things for like five dollars yeah. now. <laughs> nice, nice. The the market collapsed. Yeah. Since I've already slipped up a a couple times, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna swear at, about this too. Um, I, I do remember that I think the only action figure from the next generation I ever got was the fucking Traveler, the mm-hmm. fucking worst character. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that is a little sense of bitterness. Um, yeah, I think even for the DS9 and Voyager, we kind of struggled to get more like main um, characters. Main cast, yeah. Or, or, or like I'm saying, we get them in either their, they had some that were in next gen attire for some reason. And there oh, were some that were in formal attire, and it just always threw me off. But it is what it is. I had a Neelix too. God help me. Yeah, you had, like the, I had worst, the you had the worst action figures. I did have the worst action. Maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe that's why, as an adult, I have no interest in them. While you're still, while you're still into them, I bet your mom knew. Like, I bet your mom knew what she was doing too. She's probably like, eh, uh, <laughs> you can have one action figure, but uh, you can't pick any of the main characters. You mainly pick one of the <laughs> worst. It's possible. very wise. I mean, between that and uh, not allowing me to play video games, I, I, I live a better, healthier, cheaper life for yeah. it. I mean, legit, like your fantasy Star Trek play was having adventures of Neelix and Traveler. Like, <laughs> oh, God. Maybe that's why I hate Neelix so much, too, now. <laughs> All right. So um, to go back to my uh, lack of hustle for uh, action figures to uh, Eddington, I, I do appreciate Eddington's consistent ambition. Like, that's a, that's a kind of fun little character trait to have. Eddington only shows up when they're on the Defiant. It seems like it, it, it's something needs to, needs to be like maybe changed. I want to say in other episodes he'll start showing up more on the station, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But certainly the big the big episodes for him this season were when he sabotages the Defiant when they're going to rescue Odo and Garrick in that mid season two parter. And then here, I mean, I can't think of anything else that was like a big episode for him. No, I mean, there's only two, and this is both both dealt with the Defiant as the set piece. So, yeah, but it was yeah. interesting to know that I'll he, have he... to I'll have to research that for the season three in review podcast. See what else Eddington did, if anything. But it is interesting that he really wanted to be like a captain and have the command piece, but he ended up in the. I I never heard this before, but he said he wound up in the orange, like referring to the color of his uniform. Oh, like, did he I, actually say that? Yes, which I thought was weird. Like, I've never heard a character refer to their uniform like that. Yeah, that is weird. I thought that was just some strange thing you put in the notes and I was going to ignore it. But yeah, that is... Oh, yeah, yeah, weird. no. He says it outright. I'm like, oh. He's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one other thing I appreciated about this episode was uh, it's a lot of it is O'Brien uh, getting very uh, jumpy at random parts. Yeah, I mean he's like uh, he's a little like goofy almost. He, it sets the stage for the for the whole thing. But yeah, you know, yeah. there's something funny about watching O'Brien in a Jeffries tube just like freaking out at every like sound. It kind of it kind of sent me back to like Alien. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does kind of have alien vibes to it, and it it is kind of appropriate that it be O'Brien, given that you know the theme of every season is that there has to be at least one episode where O'Brien suffers. Um, I, this isn't that, but it still it ties into that. And then I I got a little ahead of my skis there, but I also wanted to just observe, and apparently you missed this part, but um, O'Brien toasts Cisco as uh, the best captain in Starfleet. And it was just like, damn, oh. Brian, you just throw in your old boy Jean-Luc Picard under the bus with that toast. Yeah, I, can, I did not catch that. That's that's pretty bad. <laughs> damn, Brian. Just... I, I thought Picard and O'Brien had a nice you know, farewell moment in the finale. Turns out O'Brien's hated that man for years. 
Yeah, I think I think we brought up something like that. Like it was like workers. Uh... I remember. Yeah, you 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 felt like uh, Patrick Stewart was really playing it up, where Colin Meany was more just playing like, yeah, I'm I'm just here on a Thursday, boss. Yeah, like okay, you have yeah, I'm just switching jobs. This isn't the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just stay I just stay down here and beam you places from time to time, man. It's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And so, did you remember uh, the Zenkefi, Matt? I didn't. I've heard the name so many times. I have no clue who they are. I just always assume they're just like the alien you never see. Yeah. So they're only mentioned in a couple of DS Nine episodes. I think this one, and then I think there's a two parter in season four where they're mentioned. Or sorry, yeah, season four. But apparently, the writer of the episode originally wanted them to kind of replace the Kizinti which are the large cat aliens. Do you remember them from the animated series in Lower Decks? No, Bob. I don't remember the cat aliens from those shows. No, no, no. Not, not, not the normal cat alien, Matt. The large cat aliens. Oh, the, oh, that's right. That's right. The ones that look like... Uh, yeah, the ones that have like uh, swirly things coming off of them. Yes, them. Okay, yes. Yeah, I remember yeah. Them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And so th- those were created by right-wing sci-fi writer Larry Niven, who wrote a random episode of the Star Trek the Animated Series, and he brought his aliens over. But apparently, even though they're kind of inspired by that, they're not supposed to look like giant cats. So the writer of the episode apparently imagined the Zenkefi as like big lizard aliens. And apparently, if you play Star Trek Online, the designers went in that direction. And so they're, the Zenkefi are like big lizards with forearms, which you've seen that. Yeah, I Google imaged uh, the on, the Star Trek Online designs, and they look like, okay, you know Rhino from Spider-Man? I do. Paul yeah, Giamatti. Ima- imagine they, well, imagine they took Rhino and gave him something to like mutate him into more of an animal. That's what they look like. So you're saying if Paul Giamatti were an animal uh, alien species, I can get down with that. Yes, exactly. Imagine <laughs> rhino, but more alien. Although, although Paul Giamatti is very short, and so apparently the Zenkefi are not. So that that is one disjunction. But otherwise, okay, they're the same. I got it. Uh, but apparently that's just one uh, version of the Zenkefi. The other is that in the novels, they're apparently portrayed as being like very flexible, attractive, bioluminescent, and uh, electrically charged humanoids, which is very weird. Somebody needs to get their shit together with these Nketi guys and just kind of consolidate this. I'd like someone to just write a novel explaining that. All right. So um, what did you think of, so the Changeling can take out one member of the crew and they go for Dax. It would have made more sense to take out Odo. Like, yeah, why, yeah. why would you not take out Odo? He's got the same powers you have. He's probably more in tune with what you would do, which, I mean, ultimately ends up kind of what's that, what happens. Like, take that dude out. Knock him out. Well, I mean, we know the changelings are soft on each other. No pun intended. Oh, wait, they can't, so. cause, they can't harm each other. Shit. Yeah, I, yeah. That completely screwed that up. Damn. Well, good job, DS9, making up arbitrary rules <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I, I, I just I, I do like the idea that like Dax is like Dax's intelligence is the greatest threat on the ship like I buy it you know yeah I agree with that and because I wouldn't take Eddington out because they were already suspicious of him since he was the saboteur the last time so yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah I'd forgotten about that but that it would have been nice if they'd referenced that a little a little more heavily that would have yeah. well I mean that's what they like very well. the minute they think it's him they throw him in the brig <laughs> they're like uh <laughs> Dumped his old shit again. I haven't, I hadn't thought about this, but it is kind of funny that they get this new badass ship in the Defiant, but then a lot of their use of it in season three, you know, hinges on, oh no, it's been sabotaged. Yeah, Bob, they had the ship legit stolen at one point. <laughs> they can't, they should not yeah. have this ship. I don't know how Cisco became captain either. Like, I don't, I don't get that. Like, I, well, Matt, if you stay in a job long enough, you tend to get promoted. His his issues with his issues with the Defiant probably should have uh, neglected his promotion, at least for now. Don't you remember what the Admiral, who was the cop from the Big Lebowski, told him? Yeah, you do this again, and I'll either fire you or promote you. Well, he did it. He did it again. He got his ship taken over and almost started a war. So, and he got promoted. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Okay. All right, so you made a good connection with uh, Alien earlier, but um, have you seen the 1982 film The Thing? Yes. 
Yeah, so we we definitely doing kind of like heavy tribute to the thing here. You know, we got the same like kind of blood test thing going on, and then you know the same sort of mutually assured destruction logic that you see in that movie with Cisco setting the ship's self destruct. Yeah, let me say this though, Bob. I I feel like they had two scenes that were way too similar in this episode. That's the only kind of down I have for it. Like the scene with the tricorder at the beginning, where they're detecting the particles to reveal mm-hmm. it was you know the ambassador. Remember mm-hmm. that part there at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. So you've got yeah. that test where they're scanning one person at a time, okay? And then you yeah, find yeah. out it's him. All right, and then later on they're like, okay, well, we can do this blood test to determine it as well. And then they pretty much do the exact same scene where they just start taking blood from each person. And, uh, you know, uh, Bashir play, you know, has sleight of hand at one point and switches it up. We found out it was, it was not Eddington who was the changeling, but it was actually Bashir, uh, you know, running this blood test. I just thought that mm-hmm. was, I felt like the scenes were too similar. I feel like just one of those types of scenes would have made more sense, but that's, I mean, I guess they were trying to fill in some time. Although, I mean, it is, they're trying to fill out time, but it also is a kind of like reoccurring problem over the course of the show of how to detect the changelings. Yeah. Because, you know, the first test is just because like the changeling would have passed through a certain sort of radiation. It's not, it's not anything specific to changelings in general. It's just that changeling was in, a certain location at a certain time and has this radiation. And so the, whereas the second one, I think the blood test is what they're going to keep using on the show, I believe. Yeah, it is. So, but yeah, it, it is a little bit repetitive, but I guess it maybe does tie into that theme of like trying to detect changelings and they'll come up with at least one other way later in the show. That's kind of funny, but yeah, it is notable that the original movie, the thing only has one test scene. It doesn't have like two, Although the one test scene is very tense and goes on a lot longer than either of these test scenes. Yeah, well, that was the thing. The first scene, I was kind of tense, but then the second scene, I was like, okay, I was just trying to figure out which guy it's going to be. You know, it wasn't really... Yeah. <laughs> Should it... Which is kind of a shame because the second scene... The second the scene second is scene's the better. much more interesting one. Oh, yeah. 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 It's way better. You ever play One Night Werewolf? Uh, no, is that some sort it's, of like party it's, game it's, or is it's, it a it's video a, it's game? Like a, it's like a card game where like one person is the werewolf... But you, it's like a hidden role game. Like everybody has their own. Yeah. Specific, but you don't share who you are. Isn't there one called Secret Hitler that's like that? Yes, there is. Uh, there's like several alternate versions of it. But I feel like like I'm legit going to make a version for DS9 just using this changeling piece. I think that would be so cool. <laughs> like trying to figure out who the changeling is. Who's the yeah. changeling? We're that's not going to make nice. any money off of it. But I'm just telling you, like, uh, it, it will yeah. be a really cool game. Yeah, yeah, it's Paramount. We will profit at all. We will profit from it, not at all, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say it is kind of a tradition of '90s and later TV shows to have your thing episode. The uh, X Files definitely, I think, in season one does a pretty straight rip off of the thing too. It's even set in the North Pole, whereas the original movie set in the South Pole. Uh, although I guess the the movie that the 1982 the thing is a remake of is set at the North Pole, so it comes full circle. And then uh, there's a there's a crappy science fiction show on Netflix I've been watching called Another Life, and they have an episode that's like a thing ripoff too. Yeah, that, that's kind of like a common, I guess, sci-fi trope in and of itself, yeah. just having that. I, I was thinking about forcing you to watch Another Life so we could podcast about it, but after having finished one season, I don't know if it's actually worth forcing you to do it. Yeah, I don't know if I could take much more TV, Bob. <laughs> you're, about, you're about TV'd out? Yeah, I TV myself out. Like it's just like eh, I can only do so much. I didn't want us to do Peacemaker, man. That was you. Little boy. <laughs> Little boy. Peacemaker available on all your podcatchers. <laughs> so should we uh, transition over to uh, Thirst Watch, Matt? Yeah, there wasn't a ton of thirst, Bob, but you did note something here. Yeah, so it's more like a kind of meta thirst watch. So Dax is very thirsty for Cisco to be thirstier for Yates. Everybody just wants to see Cisco happy, Bob. And he can only be happy if he has a woman. I, I just feel like someone like Dax, <laughs> who, as we've kind of well established, both in her current incarnation and in at least one prior incarnation, was, you know, is a pretty promiscuous hedonist, which, you know, and good for her. Like, I, I, I just feel like she wants wedding bells on Cisco and Yates way, way too early, man. They've been out on like two dates. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we just got introduced to Yates, and she hasn't made that many appearances. Only the she, one, right? Yeah, she's mentioned it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, really she's mentioned a, a good deal, but she's only been in the one, I think. Yeah, so I, it's not time for that yet. They got to quit pushing that. 
yeah, yeah, going, going, going too fast, too fast. Uh, calm down on your third stacks. So, who is your uh, character of the week, Matt? Bob, character of the week goes to Kosh. Find out he's an angel. I, so, did you feel touched by an angel this week, Matt? Yeah, I felt touched by an angel. Very sweet. Very you sweet. You ever heard of the show uh, uh, Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can't say that I've ever watched it, but I'm vaguely aware of it. I don't, I didn't, I don't really remember watching it, but I feel like, uh, <laughs> I feel like Michael Landon was probably like some form of Vorlon. Yeah, I mean, angels were everywhere in '90s TV. There was this. There was Touched by an Angel. There was Highway to Heaven. There was that John Travolta movie. Was it Michael? Yeah, Michael. Yeah, they were everywhere. They, I feel like they fell off after the '90s. I blame 9/11 myself. I think it's because Jesus didn't come back in 2000 like everybody's hoping for. Yeah, yeah, the uh, but yeah, definitely Babylon <laughs> Five is big on that '90s new age vibe. It's all yeah. about that. Who's your character of the week, Bob? I would say uh, Sheridan. I really do hate the anti appeasement logic of Babylon Five, which really is more just anti diplomacy. But nonetheless, uh, Sheridan was great this episode. Um, I, I really liked him. So, Matt, who would you say uh, got the better 90s TV CGI? Would you give it to uh, Kosh's angelic form, or would you give it to the changelings? All right, while Kosh was my character of the week, Bob, I got to say that the changeling form, those angels look like the Mormon paintings like my grandparents used to have in their house. It's weird. Yeah, that's cause they're, it's because it's a realistic rendering, Matt. Yeah, it freaks me out. That's what angels look like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm also going to go with the Changeling as being the better CGI, and uh, I think that's why I'm going to give uh, Adversary the Edge and say it's my episode of the week, because both were very good, but I feel like I'll just be shallow and give, give it to Adversary for having slightly better CGI. Bob, these were, like, fantastic episodes, but if you held, like, a PPG or a phaser rifle to my head and you made me pick... I would never hold a PPG to your head, Matt, because I would never want to have to say PPG in a moment of great stress where I might mess up and just say PP. <laughs> but I, I got to say, Bob, to this week, I got to go with Adversary. I don't want to discount how awesome the Fall of Night is. This is great. They were both like great episodes. It was This is not an easy choice. Probably the closest, probably the closest choice we've had all like since the podcast began. Yeah. So I, I forced you now to watch 44 episodes of Babylon 5. You're still, or I, yeah, you're, you're still feeling okay about a good old Babylon 5. You're feeling okay about that decision? Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. It's yeah, good. good. I'm, I'm, I'm entertained. I'm interested to see where season three goes. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe I'm going to look like a fool, but I think season three and the first half of season four, that's the really good stuff. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward like we're, to it. We're coming into the really good stuff, I think. And then season four of uh, DS9 is all about hunting changelings, right? Uh, maybe not Partially. all about, because oh. you well, you know, you're gonna we're gonna have the Federation Klingon uh, low intensity war in the season four f- premiere, right? Right, and then doesn't Worf show up in the season? Yeah, Worf it, Worf is gonna be there in the premiere, and then I think it's still I think the changeling stuff escalates, but I think. There's a lot more about the Klingons and about like the paranoia about the changelings more than the changelings themselves in season four. All right. All right. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. So this has been Babylon 5 versus DS9, the galaxy's great podcast about the two great 90s space station shows. We are a part of Uncanny Treks. I am Bob from Cascadia. That's Matt from the Southland. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.